You're listening to episode 95 of Caucus Talk, your source for culture, history, and tourism in the North Caucasus, mountains of Russia. My name's Andrew. And my name is Eli. Welcome back to the program. We've got an excellent interview lined up for our listeners today. I can't wait to get into it and tell you about it. I will whet your appetite, pre-whet your appetite before I whet your appetite with letting <laughs> you know that this is a redo of a lost interview. So think, you know, uh-huh. Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark kind of stuff is lost in time. There we go. Yeah. The lost, the lost interview. We finally dug it up. But before that, we've got a news minute. A, a we. Oh man, these news minutes are coming fast and furious. Eli, you know, you know how I am. Sometimes I read something on the internet and I can't let it go, and I get on this tangent of a research dive. I don't even know. Yeah, dive. Mm-hmm. It's also called procrastination. And, I mean, there's a lot of. <laughs> Sometimes it's worth it, and sometimes it's not. This time it was worth it. I can't wait. So uh, just saw a brief headline uh, in the news in December that the Wrestling World Cup had just taken place, and Russia had, specifically it said Russia had basically swept the medals um, from this event. So, of course, I was curious, and I think, like, the picture I saw of the guy, I was like, that guy does not look Russian, <laughs> um, the top wrestler. So I was like, wait a minute, I'm going to see, like, who, okay, who actually won the medals? So, you know, of course, like, the people's names are listed out. Right. And I started researching, where are these guys from in Russia? Really? So, listen to these results, Eli. Um, so there's... Two way, two styles of wrestling that there were competitions in. Yes, freestyle wrestling and Greco-Roman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then within those um, styles of wrestling, ten weight classes within each of them. Yes, so potential for twenty gold medals. Wow. So, in the freestyle, nine of the ten categories weight classes, Russia won gold medals. That is amazing. Here's the amazing part. Eight of those nine gold medals were won by Dagestanis. No. Guys from Dagestan. And then the ninth was a Chechen guy, but who was from Dagestan. (laughs) (laughs) Where was the tenth from? Uh, They did not compete in that weight class. Uh, no, there wasn't an entry. So, so it was another country won. That's what I mean. What other country? Oh, but you say Russia didn't even compete uh, in that weight class. Right, right. So it doesn't oh matter. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, so like these are, uh, and I just like researched a little, different nationalities, Dargins, Kumiks, Lesgis, Avars. I mean, talk about complete domination. How are they so dominant? I mean... Yeah. That's the question. Well, we did an episode about that. We did that. do an episode. It has to do with the water, the uh, apricot porridge, uh, <laughs> the mountain air, and a whole lot of training. Yeah. So uh, that was episode, I think, 29. Uh, we talked about kind of wrestling and some of our thoughts on why right. it's kind of this talent right. talent factory. So then that was freestyle, okay? Then let's move to Greco-Roman. So again, 10 weight classes. <clears throat> um. In nine of the ten categories or weight classes in Greco-Roman, Russia medaled. Seven of those were gold medals. And of the nine medals total, so it was a little more spread out here, but 
really spread out to the region as a whole. Okay. So four were from the North Caucasus. So actually, these medals were really spread out. There was a Ingush, Chechen, Dagestanian, Bolkar. And this is Greco-Roman? Greco-Roman. Mm-hmm. Three of the guys are from Russia, but actually uh, ethnically are from the Caucasus, Georgian, Armenian, Azeri. Oh, wow. Uh, but, yeah, so Caucasus roots, but competing for Russia, probably grew up in Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, and then two, the other two medals were by Russian guys. Okay. So uh, I looked at the overall numbers. Let's break it down. 18 of the 20 weight classes, Russia medaled. 16 of those medals were gold medals. 16 out of 20. And 13 of the 16 gold medals were by wrestlers from the North Caucasus. Nine of the 13 were from Dagestan. (laughs) I mean, other countries must just be terrified wrestling against Russia. I mean, frankly. Yeah, and I learned about, I had heard this guy's name before, but essentially they say probably the most dominant wrestler of all time, Abdul Rashid Sajulayev. He's from Dagestan. He's... uh, I think it's heavyweight. It's 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 the second largest weight class. Um, but I watched a highlight reel of him, and wow, that guy is a beast. <laughs> but he won five of the, the five of the last six years. He won the gold medal at that wrestling World Cup in his weight class. You know, our friend Taksin with Rise and Glide. Um, I forget if it's training or tours or what, but who does the uh, right. the martial arts tours? <clears throat> right. In Dagestan, he did a, a little video of some of their training. I really want to do that when we get back in country. I really want to uh, feature huh. some of some of the grassroots kind of training uh, regimens, equipment areas that these guys do. A lot of them will just train in open air in in you know yards behind buildings on the beach with heavy tires with pieces of cement and wood. Um, right, you know. A lot of the, there are gyms, of course, too, but I, I really want to get into the nit and grit of of how these these guys really train and into the ethos of it. And I would uh, personally love to see you go through some of those regiments. <clears throat> well, Andrew, <laughs> we'll see how the Octazone treats me. If if I can uh, bulk up a little bit, and <clears throat> then um. Yeah, you know, for the sake of the thing, I would be of of the of the podcast. I would be willing. I'll 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 do some training for the podcast. <laughs> I will, and I'll I will go and wrestle with some guys just to learn. You know how oh, how man. to get because uh, I well I used to be pretty limber. You know, pretty limber. There I'll we tell go. You that okay. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, Eli, today. Tell us more about the lost interviews of Caucus Talk that we're having today. Well, I'll let the interview speak for itself, but we have a, a good friend in Nalchik, um, a Circassian fellow named Bulat, and he was, as I said in the interview, he was my wife's and my one of our first friends. I found him online as a, a, a what he calls a punk ethnographer, a, a non-formally hmm. trained ethnographer, studying and recording and and publishing, producing local authentic local music uh he has an amazing mind and a real a real desire to honor and to um like make scene in the world 
any music that is really born locally of any kind. So he runs a gamut from traditional and acoustic and just sort of you know old instruments all the way up to experimental noise and all kinds of stuff yeah. from from different locations. So it's very eclectic. Uh, and he just welcomed us. He invited when I emailed him. He invited us to come down. We we spent uh, a couple of days at his house and got to know him and his family. So I really enjoyed um, enjoy this friendship. This I went down to to Nalchik, uh It was a year and some ago uh, to interview him, but I had forgot my SD card. He I used one of his and then he misplaced it and we never found it again. So I'm glad that we could <laughs> finally uh, redo the interview because uh, he has a great voice for the Caucasus. This is one of our longer-awaited interviews Indeed. for Caucus Talk. We are very glad to welcome to the studio uh, founder of Ored Recordings in the North Caucasus, Bulat Halilov. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank it you so much. It is really good to have you. Bulat was sort of one of my my wife and my first Caucasus friends. I mean... <laughs> Like, you know, we were at university when we first came so we could learn Russian, and we had some friends there, but we connected with Bulat, and he invited us two hours away down to his house to just come and meet him and hang out, and uh, we went there, and I think we spent the night, um, and we'd never done anything like that. It was really exciting. It's just normal thing for me when I see nice people. I was going to say, Bulat, uh, I've had Eli as a house guest, so that was very noble of you. Yeah, it's um, not for the faint of heart. <laughs> sight unseen. So let me ask, how did you guys meet? Because I have a great story how we met. But wasn't it, Eli, didn't you like find Bulat on the internet? I or? think so. I think I just reached out and emailed you because I found you either on Facebook. Man, I don't do you remember, remember Bulat? <laughs> no, I don't remember. I even no, don't I think, remember how I was invited you. Yeah, I think I just... I was looking for, uh, like, contacts for eth- ethnomusicology. And, like and yes, your recording label was one of the ones that came up. And I was really fascinated. So, you know, being American, you think, maybe we'll have a phone call. <laughs> and, of course, he's like, come down. And then they fed us. In fact, I still use the recipe I learned from Bulat's wife when we do shashlik with mushrooms because she used this really delicious sauce to cover the mushrooms before you grill them uh, in shashlik. And I, I remember asking, uh, what is this? <laughs> marinade, I think. Some. Yeah, yes, it was a marinade. marinade. Yeah. 
So, Bilat, I don't know if you remember how we met. Um, I was visiting a friend in the booming Kabardian metropolis of Zalokokowaje outside of Piatigorsk. And uh, he ordered a taxi for me from the local taxi service to take me home. And I started talking with the taxi driver. And when I told him just, you know, I do, um, we do tourism. We have a business here. We try to like, we have a podcast about cultural exchanges. And he was like immediately, oh, oh, I have to introduce you to my, my cousin's husband. Like you guys will really connect. Just hold on one second. And he called your wife, who was his cousin. So this was, uh, I think it was Askir is his name. And, uh, he connected us and I had no idea who you guys were, but he, uh, (laughs) I was coming to Nalchik soon. I was like, well, he, it was really nice of him. He wanted to introduce me to this person. He said we had something in common. And then when we had uh, dinner, I think it dawned on both of us. Uh, you were like, wait, don't you do that podcast with Eli? Ah. (laughs) But that was after you were seated at dinner together, right? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you were so. American from uh, Petigorsk, so Eli is American from Petigorsk. There are so only so many was, of us, it's yeah. true. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Well, Bulat, we, uh, I want to introduce you to our, um, to our listeners. You have two very distinctive things about you. One... Do you do you know what you have in common with Habib Nurmagomedov, Bulat? Me? Yes, yes maybe you. arms and legs and one head. <laughs> <laughs> Human DNA. <laughs> so, Bulat, along with Habib Nurmagomedov, you have been our most requested guest from our listenership to bring onto wow. the podcast. Yes. I wow. think it means you have a free listeners total. <laughs> <laughs> But so we've had multiple listeners write us and say, please interview Bulat. Have you heard of him and his music label? So that's really cool. Uh, Yeah. And then second, Bulat, as far as I know, you're one of the only people from the North Caucasus that uh, generates positive press in the English language um, with the music work that you do. So I commend you for that. Yeah, it's great to finally have you on the show. Andrew, you forgot the third thing is that he's your only friend who is deep into Circassian death metal. Um, (laughs) Maybe you have others that I don't know about, but we'll we'll get into all that. This is my strongest side. (laughs) His true self. That's why my mom loves me. Oh, does she, does, she, does she like the same music as you do? Oh, she has the course. same musical tastes. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a typical father, a typical mother son, you know, death metal listening session, like like we all enjoy. Mostly black, not death, but death metal too. Oh, black metal, not black black metal, not death. Metal. So okay, so we'll get into the nuances. You can tell yes. we're talking to someone who's into music. I like this. Yes. So, Bulat, uh, like always, uh, Eli and I have really extended the intro and talked a lot ourselves about you. But um, <laughs> tell us, tell our listeners, who are you? Where are you from? Uh, tell us a little about your uh, work with music. Well, I am a guy from Nalchik. It's a city in the Kabardino-Balkarian Republic. I'm Circassian. Uh, well, it's one of the... Uh, ethnic minorities in Caucasus and uh, 
for now I can call myself as a journalist, producer of some uh, cultural projects, uh, and there is some uh, some uh, like tag, some cliche that we use. It's a DIY ethnographer. It's it means. Yeah. I'm ethnographer without any academic background in the past, and and we called it punk ethnography too. But we we steal this uh, word from American label Sublime Frequency. Yes, uh, they call punk punk ethnography. Yeah, punk ethnography. The whole idea of punk is sticking it to the man, and <laughs> yeah, punk punk is sort of anti-system, and so this idea of grassroots ethnography, like we don't need a degree just to, but, uh, you know, do do good high-level study of music. Huh. But it's strange for America and Europe because uh, I think academical ethnography in uh, Europe and USA, it's uh, pretty open-minded, and many academic ethnographers are interested in local pop music styles and so on. So uh, when I start to go deeper into Western academical folkloristic and uh, ethno studies, I was um, I don't really understand why such labels as uh, Sublime Frequencies and other DIY uh, ethnography labels are so opposite to academical ethnography. Where if you That's take a... Caucasus the, right. uh, and maybe Russia too, uh, here academic ethnography is something that not really related to uh, life tradition and not really related to music, only mm. in some studies, not in music itself. So, I I can say I uh, use the term DIY ethnographer because if some scientist will say you are not ethnographer, I said okay, I am just DIY ethnographer. <laughs> <laughs> I was just a punk. <laughs> so that's really yeah. it's it's interesting because it's true that ethnography actually we don't need to go into it, but especially ethnomusicology is itself in the Western Academy kind of the punk the punk um faculty, like the punk focus, because it was sort of a reaction against musicology which was Western-focused, basically only looking at Western music as real music. And then other scholars came along and said, what about all the other people's music? They're like, well, who cares? So they start, you know, so it is true, like punk ethnography, um, but still there, it's enshrined in this academy with, you know, layers of, I would say, kind of barriers to entry. But you just said something, I wonder if you can explain a little more. You said that in Caucasus and maybe Russian uh, studies, ethnography doesn't study live tradition. Yes. Can you tell me what you mean by live tradition? Because I think that's a really great phrase. Live tradition, I, I mean when I say it, that this is different forums of, I say when I say tradition, I 
speak mostly about not tradition in uh, wide understanding, but in musical only. So uh, live musical traditions in Caucasus, it's not only old men and women who mm, who take, who accept the traditional mm -hmm. music by oral uh, way of uh, transferring. Passing, uh, pass, transfer, yeah. passing it down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But maybe young people who know traditional music because of internet, who uh, take text from internet or some, I don't know, Google documents, they start to learn these uh, songs and start to uh, sing. And some of the musicians try not to just reconstruct traditional music, but uh, perform it in their own way. So uh -huh. I think this new way of living traditional music, these new ways of performing it, these new ways of creating it, it's a part of tradition. And um, local uh, scientists doesn't interest in this and mm -hmm. they the, the their topic is like well we was recording something true and now it disappeared and now we have only books and archive recordings but you can't li listen to these archive recordings because it's only for elite so uh -huh. and it's locked in archives yeah. So it's, I think it's very stupid. And that's why I can't say the traditional music here in Caucasus is something very popular and vital in, uh, for a big audience. Many people, most of Caucasian people will say, yes, we are proud about our traditions, we are proud about our traditional music, but they don't listen to it and they just, it's just only the words. And sometimes I think when I was in Normandy with my French friends and how they work with the traditional music, sometimes I can say that in, uh, in different regions in Europe, traditional mm -hmm. music is more preserved than in Caucasus. Sometimes. So, uh, but traditions, and when we, we say that we are traditional, it becomes a brand of Caucasus. And that's why people yeah. make some noise about how they are traditional. But when you, and they are traditional about, well, when some elder come in, in the room, you, we are stand up. Sure. Right. But it's, it, there is some trad tradition, but when you talk about art, about crafts, about music, uh, traditional culture in this, uh, in this way, is something like a local underground for not very uh -huh. big number of people. I mean, that's real interesting to hear. So you're right. I mean, when, you, when people describe the Caucasus, they say things like, myself included, traditional society, traditional dress, uh, 
they, like you said, kind of live by the traditions of respect your elders and there's family traditions, there's language traditions. And then of course you think about music too, but what you're saying is specifically the art piece. Uh, we'll talk about music. That's what you do. Um, that actually is not very widespread today. Is that what you're saying? Yes. And uh, you said about uh, traditional dresses. Most of dresses, uh, well, we don't uh, wear these dresses in everyday life. Right, so, right. and this is not a this is remake of traditional mm-hmm. dress from Soviet ensembles, and people uh. now wear it in the on some holidays. Like this is our. Right oldest ancient tradition it's it's not it's from soviet union and mm. uh, so can you can you explain a little bit about soviet ensembles i know you could probably explain a lot but just to give our listeners a general idea what when you talk about soviet ensembles what were they and why did they exist well soviet uh, period was very interesting and very difficult and complicated for for all the people uh, for all the ethnics in Russia I think for Russians too and mm-hmm. you can I think that well I think that every government every government is colonial thing and every government uh, some kind or some way try to 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 shape the people to shape the culture to 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 make from culture something that government can use and some of governments are more uh, like more uh, uh, insistent yeah <laughs> more maybe say cruel some or uh-huh. less but but every government in the end is about mm-hmm. this and soviet union was they was uh, the soviet uh, government they have some idea of soviet people and uh for caucasian people it was uh, like some uh a romantic uh, wild uh, guys who yeah. dance very well, who are very welcoming people, and every Caucasians are the same. Every Caucasians are uh-huh. some mix between Armenian, Georgian, and some uh, maybe Tashke, maybe Tajik, or something uh-huh. like this. Most <laughs> of uh, governmental ensembles was create in this uh, idea like well circassian ensemble you we don't have in traditional music dowl but of drums baraban but drums sounds very oriental and they <laughs> put uh, oriental uh, instruments into these ensembles and what was the motivation of the government to put these together? To, well, to, for tourists, for, for people uh. from outside, because 
official culture was always work for outside audience. It's mm. like uh, uh, postcards. It's yeah. not for the inner uh, process. Mm. And many people, mm. and it starts to work not like minister comes uh, and say to our musicians, do like this. So they say, oh, no, please. And he says, he take a gun and say, I said, do like this. No, it's not like this. <laughs> many, many musicians uh, and many artists and composers was really believe in this Soviet idea and they work and they take this idea as well, yeah, we are Highlanders, we are Jigits, we are Eastern people, but uh, and they was work into this uh, conception um, truly by their heart. And do you think any of them use their arts subversively in this way? Uh, what do you mean subversively? The, the Soviet government did the same thing with classical music. A lot of people don't know this, but when they listen to Prokofiev or Shostakovich from mid-century, the government was, was powerfully involved in dictating how these composers could write, what operas and ballets, and, and, and they were very sensitive to, just even in the music itself, something that seemed subversive. Um, but Prokofiev was often writing in a way to undermine, even though on the outside he was sort of I, keeping... I, yeah, I understand now. I don't yeah. think our composers was trying to say something against or something uh -huh. that... I think, and from my introduction from these words, you can think that I'm super anti-Soviet period. No, it was, <laughs> it was interesting time because uh -huh. in this period, uh, these ideas was influenced, influenced somehow our composers, yeah. musicians, and they create something maybe not authentic, but something new. I've, I, we call it now, we, we, with Timur, with my friend and co-founder of Red Recordings, as a Soviet tradition, Soviet traditional music, because it became something another. And the problem right. is the good, the, the dream in the ideal world, uh, this Soviet tradition uh, will parallel for uh, like people's tradition and it will be very good. But unfortunately, Soviet tradition became, become maybe not only, but dominate tradition. This is mm. the, the problem. But uh, now we have... Uh, access to uh, uh, radio archives, archives from Nalchik Radio. And when we mm. listen uh, music from and recordings from 80s and 70s, it, it's very interesting. It's really, for that time, it was avant-garde. It was really uh, contemporary, really strange sounds. Wow. And this is, if you will... Uh, think about tradition in terms of purity. This is re really not uh, not authentic things. But uh -huh. if you will look at and listen uh, uh, to this recording, just as a listener, as and you will uh, watch how the ideas are circulate. It's very interesting. 
So, um, so in Soviet Union was really strange things and right. It's a great explanation. Interesting. So when you're talking about uh, Caucasian music as a whole, Ulat, uh, I do think I've actually seen you talk about this in some of your interviews, how often people think that's one kind of type of music, Caucasian music. But, but you know, there are 50-plus nationalities in the North Caucasus and so here's a question I have. You're talking about this kind of Soviet traditional music and even this desire to return to the more authentic pre-Soviet music. Was that music pretty similar across the republics and across the region or very different? What has your kind of ethno- ethnographical work shown you about that? It depends on what music we're talking about. If we talk about... Um... Uh, pop music in in this like ethno pop music in these republics, it's pretty the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, there is some uh, elements of traditional music, but it's pretty the same. This dowl baraban, the drums, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. uh, and this is what you would hear on the radio. Sort of just turn up today. What guys, you know, taxi drivers blast when they drive around that kind of stuff yes okay uh, and it's pretty the same but there is some like unique styles in pop music too but you can say that mostly pop music in Caucasus are the same and regions are not very important for, for mm-hmm. this but if you talk about traditional music, it's really well. You can take um, Southern Caucasus, Dagestan, uh, and Azerbaijan. It sounds uh, n- not similar, but in one you can say in one yeah, big yeah. something like more Oriental, more melodic. Uh, yeah. Chechens and Vainachs, uh, you can find similar. They sing in polyphonic mostly, singing, mm-hmm. and, and they you can find similarities with Tushetians from Georgia. And there is oh. e- even there is a uh, theory. I don't know um, is it true or not because I'm not into this. But some people say that Tushetians are. Uh, Vinax, who was uh, cartelized by Georgians. Oh. Interesting. There is a c- connection anyway. And uh, you can take Ossetians, uh, Abkhaz, Circassians, mm-hmm. Karachais, and B- Balkars uh, are more not similar, but there is a like uh, traditional song sounds like one uh, leading voice, some choir, choir, uh, choir, yep. choir, yeah, and some instruments like a fiddle, uh, right. like a dombra, like, a like a, something like a guitar. But uh, of course, uh, some music from Dagestan was in part Circassian music, but 
this uh, this influence are not very not very strong and sure. you and when i say that uh, it's like Asian and Circassian, this is the same it's not the same but you can f- hear the uh, connections and sure and you can hear the differences so there is no Caucasian traditional music. It's like to right. like, say European traditional music. Right. That's a good, I mean, you broke it even into, those were three basic categories, kind of Western Caucasus, Central and Eastern. But that, I mean, I'm sure within those three categories, there would be lots of little differences too. So the, I do think that's helpful for our audience to hear the distinctions. We actually, Bulat, we, we do have a pretty solid listenership in the country of Georgia, so maybe we'll be hearing from some of them tune soon if they like or dislike your theory about Tushetians coming, mm-hmm. coming from Chechens. I think they will dislike. <laughs> 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 so maybe even Tushetians will dislike, but I'm not sure if it's true or not. It's just a theory, and we, we were thinking somebody, t- I don't remember who, told us it and we was in Tusheti there was a festival and there was some Tushetian singers and we was wow it sounds like Chechen uh, and Ingush Zikers for example wow well I think we need to hear a little bit about what you do with Ored recordings and where it all came from I mean we can talk a lot about traditional music but you're not only involved in what I think people might classify as traditional, you know, uh, ensembles and arrangements. You have a, tell us about the interest of Ored and how it got started and also what the little picture is. It looks like a big, you know, antenna or fingerprint or some kind of. <laughs> well, a red recordings is uh, in, in the core of red recordings. It's me and Timur Kadzoka, my friend. Mm-hmm. And mostly what we do it's it's drinking beer and sometimes <laughs> we make expeditions. <laughs> yeah, it was created like this. We were well we are two we are not the guys that was uh, into traditional music or traditions. When I was a teenager I was a goth into gothic music and subculture. Timur wow. was a fan of some rock music, but he was trying to find some more psychedelic sounds, more experimental. But in Nalchik, you in nineties, you can't find uh, anything you want. You just listen that you have. So I was. So what the, were you <laughs> listening to in the nineties in Nalchik? You and Timur, what like that what? our listeners might have heard of? Um, for. I start from Russian rock like Mumitrol and Zimfira. Uh-huh. Then I found I I was looking for something more gloomy, and I, I found uh, something like Rage Against the Machine, uh, uh-huh. Linkin Park, Limbisk, this new metal stuff, and okay. then I find the. Uh, gothic metal and post-punk and some doom metal dark wave and then i became to industrial music and to black metal and now 
industrial and black metal and post-punk are something that's very important for me since now. And Timur was listening bands like Led Zeppelin. It was, but not studio recordings. Studio recordings are too poppy for us. I think uh-huh. uh, Led Zeppelin uh, lives are really amazing. And I was thinking yeah. when when we, I met Timur, we start to listen Portis Head, and this mm-hmm. the band Portis Head and Norwegian black metal. This is was the thing that uh, <laughs> connect us. And we was listeners later on. You can contact Bulat to find out the difference between black metal, doom metal, uh, post punk. Are these all under the category of heavy metal, or would you just would that make you shake your head and roll your eyes? Like oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, there, there is a thing. we hate heavy metal. We don't <laughs> like heavy metal. <laughs> But gothic metal and no, okay, and, no, okay. When I was a kid, gothic metal was yeah, yeah, okay, as a kid. but now no, no, no. So you've matured. It's like <laughs> a Tim Burton. Uh-huh. When you kid, Tim wow. Burton is okay, but now, like, no. So Bulat, you told me we were texting the other day that uh, much of the development of your English language vocabulary came from black metal lyrics yes and you just listed out this i mean tell tell our listeners some of the words you learned from black metal you never would have learned otherwise oh amazing boy. this is family friendly <laughs> first words that i take from english from these lyrics are like darkness death suicide <laughs> sacrifice oh worship and so on so wow. there, there was a funny moment uh, we was uh, when I was in the school, uh, some American family comes to our village. It's near Nalchik. And they come to uh, to our school, to our English lessons. And I uh-huh. was the only kid who listened to rock music. And I was thinking uh-huh. all rock music is something like uh, death and black metal. And... <laughs> And the American guy said, oh, I, I'm a fan of rock music too. And <laughs> he gave me his CD, I give him my CD. <laughs> <laughs> and my CD was like, it was a Tiamat band and the second album, Astral Sleep. And it's all about skeletons, Satan, Lucifer, and so on. And the <laughs> CD that he gave, it was a Christian rock. And when I was listening, I was, oh, you will afraid. It didn't last long in your possession, I suppose. What, what a great cultural exchange. Uh, yeah, more, he, he than, more me, than cultural. He gave me it back, and I was, and did you listen to how, what do you think? He said, well, it's okay, not my stuff, <laughs> but it's okay. <laughs> and I start. I understand. I said, "But listen to the lyrics. The lyrics are amazing." And he said, mm, uh. "Okay, maybe that's why this family uh, was back to USA not long." <laughs> you sent them back. Yes, <laughs> that's awesome, Bulat. So uh, you and Timur, you had this common interest of, uh, you know, in experimental music, music yeah, right. And so did it. I mean, how did Ored Recordings form out of this? And tell us a little, tell our listeners just a little about what you guys do with Ored. So, uh, 
a red recording is a ethnographic uh, label we uh, travel around the Caucasus in the villages cities and, and meet people who perform any forms of traditional and local music sometimes uh, local music doesn't mean traditional it's something well we record something that Ah. very typical for region or something very weird for weird for this region something that uh-huh. you can't uh, expect so uh, well in the very beginning we was we were saying that we are labeled that record authentic traditional music but now we our experience tell us that it's uh, well authentic traditional mm. it's like a pure it's some kind of fascism in music and <laughs> now we are open-minded and uh-huh. we understand that there is no like borders and the borders are something that there is it's a sphere that connect so sometimes right. what do well sometimes sure. traditional music tra- it's not ancient but traditional so it may it, it can be uh composed or create yesterday but it becomes authentic so and now we say that we are a label of traditional and local music so we travel made field recordings of traditional music made uh-huh. articles uh, some features and uh, put it in uh, release it in the internet and sometimes on the cassettes sometimes on vinyl why are you guys recording on cassettes and why on vinyl? So we are fans of these formats and this is something like uh, it's something like fetish. It's something like people yeah. uh, buy it as an artifact. Like yeah. just to... And it's, this is a forum of memories. This is a forum of um, supporting sure. things that uh, you like. So it's something like a gift. So I may have told you this before. Um, I don't remember because we actually interviewed Bulat. It was one of my favorite interviews, but we lost the recording. So it's going to go down in history as this. It's in the archives. The lost recording, you know, the lost interview. Anyway, um, <laughs> but I was traveling so, uh, in the last couple of years through the Seattle airport. And they had a storefront there and it was... You know, Seattle was known for its the grunge scene in the late '90s, and so of course this was now a store about the grunge scene. And if there's anything less authentic than a grunge store in an airport, I don't know what is. But so you know, it's it's they had very select things. But I, I was walking around in there, and I went around the back, and they had cassettes, and they were all brand new produced cassettes by some local artists. And I I said, okay. I mean, I I like <laughs> high quality sound. I used cassettes ex- exhaustively growing up. I, you know, I had to use cassettes to make soundtracks for movies in high school, and they're horrible and pop and they hiss. So I took it to the guy in the front who was much younger than me. I said, "Look, I'm just going to ask straight up. What is the deal? Why <laughs> are you selling and why are people buying cassettes?" And he said, "I know. I agree. I get it." He said, "Not only is there a nostalgic thing." Because now it's a generation away, so kids growing up are like, cool, cassettes. And we're like, you don't even know. Um, you know, whereas a CD is sort of annoying. But 
there's something very um, accessible and sort of, I don't want to say democratic, but it's very cheap and very easy to reproduce. And bands will like make re- cassettes of their concerts or, or tracks from a concert, a live concert, and, and be able to hand them out or hand out a single on, you know, on the way out of, of a concert or something. So, and people have something concrete, something physical, and that is what is really lost wow. among a lot of other things are lost. But in today's streaming services where people just sort of hit a genre and listen to whatever, they don't have anything. If you stop paying that month, if your credit card expires, whoop, all your music vanishes. You know, it's very ethereal. So he was saying wow. that there is a, a, a trend and appetite for something concrete. And I think, Bulat, it connects with, with that word authentic that you guys are after. There's something here. There's something real that I can actually um, own or, or come in contact with. Yeah, and that's missing. people want to have something in their hands. And, yeah. And it's, it's a, like some think like a design, something that uh, like a pictures and yes. paintings in your flat. Like it's yes. something like that. It's create atmosphere. So that's why people... Yeah. I, I mean, it's a bit of a crisis for our children, I, I feel, because all of the music that we listen to now is sort of, it's on this device, and I don't give them my smartphone. They're too young, you know, but there's no place for them to kind of rifle through tapes oh. or records and put yeah. them on, listen. So, you know, there's an access thing even for our children that we're, we try and work out. And I think it's a different experience listening a digital album when you can skip songs. Mm. And uh, tape, when it goes, it, it makes you listen the whole album. You even appreciate, if you have to skip a song, you appreciate that you've got to, there's something there. Oh. You know, you got to hold fast forward and wait. I like, that's a really interesting thought. Okay. Wow. This is so interesting. I just, you know, we're at home in the States right now as we record this. And I just recently had to teach my daughters how to, what a cassette is, how to put it in a tape player. Of course, because my parents still have that. Uh, and I mean, they were fascinated. That was totally new to them. Wow, um, something weird to me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, Bulat, you mentioned um, traditional music, quote unquote. Uh, Ethno pop, but uh, I'm curious what are some of the other kind of genres and interesting kinds of local music you're finding in the Caucasus? And I, I just want to share this because it's very relevant. About a week ago, we got an email from one of our listeners, an American who has really gotten into a hip hop group from North Ossetia. You, I'm sure you know them, uh, Andy Panda and Miyagi. Uh, Miyagi, um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Miyagi, They're yeah. So we won't, we won't ask your opinion about those guys, but <laughs> too late. <laughs> Eli and I were just like, wow, Ossetian hip hop artist, you know, who would have thought it? And so, uh, in light of that, what kind of different local music are you coming in contact with in the different Caucasus republics? So I, uh, I think uh, Miyagi it's that he's a really professional and as a, in the video in videos he used some uh, visual elements of traditional culture visual elements. yes but musically I think it's just a, here we call it Kalyan hip-hop Kalyan rap like mm. uh, rap uh-huh. for Kalyan rooms it's just uh, 
pop, hip, poppy, hip, hip hop, and right. mm-hmm. I can't see nothing very local except visual. Uh, you know what he's doing, but uh, as I know, he is trying to make something for Asetia. He is trying right. to, make, and this is well. I think probably he's a nice guy who who trying to to <laughs> make something. But but in in terms of music, I don't think he's in into the field of local music. And this is a gotcha. Problem, not a problem. This is a thing because there is uh, another Ossetian artist, Matrang, is very popular uh-huh. in Russia, and but there is nothing Ossetian in his music, and mm-hmm. I don't think we can't blame these people. If right, you are right. Ossetians, you 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 are not. There is there is no duty to make something. Like Asetian, he's a yeah. free uh, person. Sure. He, he he can do whatever he he made. So this kind of hip hop, I don't think it's uh, something local. I think music like this can made in Moscow or or in right. in any uh, city. So, mm-hmm. but uh, when I say some local music, it's for example. Uh, we have recorded, and I hope we soon we will release it. Uh, there is, uh, there is in Adigea, there is a Republic of Adigea, there is a village Uliap, and there is a lot of uh, accordion players. Accordion, it's traditional mm-hmm. instrument since uh, late 19th century, and mm-hmm. they mix uh, well the criminal behavior it's something they in their identity of this village they are proud oh, of interesting like <laughs> like ACAB and uh, this stuff are into this uh, culture and they mix uh, sh- criminal chanson the songs mm-hmm. from bandits and from criminal people uh-huh. and circassian music and it's start I don't know from seventies or eighties, like there are anti-communistic songs. There is songs like we are going to some criminal things about mm-hmm. drugs and so on, and they mix it. And people, many people, are not even criminal. They just love this song. And in Uliap, they create. We say we we call it Circassian chanson. So. And it's very interesting because and uh, there is a Magomed Zibov, very popular uh, pop singer from Adigea, and he take this genre, this style, and put it in the ethnopop, and his ethnopop becomes something uh, unique. Well, so and the differences between traditional music and his ethnopop, it's only in the sound. The mm-hmm, melodies, okay. even the style, how he singing, it's traditional from traditional music. So it's it's very interesting. And now uh, with Timur, we not only ethnographers, we can say that we are producers. Now we we, nice. we produce projects, 
So the, the first experience is the fuck. It's our black Circassian black metal uh, band. Wow. Timur plays on guitar and our friend Amar plays on drums. So play, he played drums. And mm-hmm. uh, Timur, they play uh, traditional ritual so Circassian melodies, tra- uh, epic melodies, dance melodies, but in black metal style. So <laughs> it sounds for us really interesting. And we, uh, for example, drummer uh, on the during performance he wearing the traditional mask uh, the goat mask it's called yeah. ajrafa it was a mask for joker during traditional festivals yeah. he uh-huh. is yeah i've seen that out of morals out of etiquette he can do yep. whatever he whatever wants. he wants yeah it's, it's uh, carnival culture and timur wears Bashlik, uh, the hood, hoodie, the traditional uh-huh. hoodie, and mm. it's like it's visually, uh, in the same time, uh, looks very traditional and very black metal. So <laughs> it's very interesting, and we are trying play with cliches in traditional culture and in. Uh, black metal on the one hand we are very serious about this music on the other hand we are very ironic so Mm -hmm. we mix these stuff Bulat what kind of responses do you get to Ored and your projects what kind of positive and what kind of negative responses do you mean from local people or from who um I guess anyone but especially local mostly it's positive uh, reactions and positive feelings because well we we do think things that you can't say it's not good because we record traditional music and put it online for free yeah you, even <laughs> we do something some mistake you can blame us because we said just don't listen or do it better <laughs> or, hey, we're di- we're DIY ethnographers. What are, what yeah. are you blaming us for? Come on. <laughs> yes, but but the, there is the, the negative moments comes from ourselves when we grow up and we look at our first texts or first. Oh yeah. And we <laughs> said, wow, it's not like this. But the, for example, first text was very like radical in terms of we said well this is ancient song this is not this uh-huh. is this this is not and it was strange so and sometimes we when we look back in, in the past we we see our mistakes and this is the negative the, there is some uh, reaction from local people who said for example, not local, some people say, well, there is a paradox. Our red recordings are more popular in Moscow, maybe, <laughs> than in Nalchik. So some people say, well, you are just two hipsters that sell traditional your culture for Moscow hipsters. And we said, yes, because 
most mm. hipsters want to listen it and local people don't want to listen it and mm. i don't want wow. to go to home to any to people and force them to listen we like we share it with everybody who want to who wants it who wants it if moscow mm. people are more into this well yeah. probably something wrong with with our with the cultural situation here right and mm. this is a problem because for example uh, when we do concerts or we uh, play on the festivals and we are trying play not on the folk festivals festivals we are performing on it's mostly festivals of contemporary or experimental music because we think that music we record traditional music it's contemporary music it's not only the ancient thing so uh and it mostly uh, on moscow in moscow uh, and i know how to inform audience in in moscow i know the yeah. med- media where if they will post the announce people will yeah. read it and come in Nalchik, mm-hmm. I don't understand how people, uh, where they got news about culture. Now um. I'm working uh, in Platforma, it's organization uh, working with administration, and I'm making festivals in Nalchik. And we bring some wow, cool. experimental and post-punk and hip-hop bands <laughs> here. So there is, we have our audience but it's not very uh, big. And I ask people who come, uh, where did you find the information? Where we need to post this? Uh, right. Uh, and they said, we don't know. We don't read <laughs> anything. We just check Instagram. Where? Which accounts? Well, just some accounts. Uh-huh. And I don't understand how to... Uh, and <laughs> if... In Moscow, it's very clear. It's we will wo- work mostly with the tools that we have, and we we are trying to find some new tools here. Or I think we need not to find tools but create here because here yeah, in Caucasus it's a desert. So we need to right. make something, and it's not a problem. Well. There is an audience who want to listen something new or something fresh, but mm, there is no channels how to create the web. So we need to mm. create the web. Well, you, yeah, I mean, Bulat, I think what you're showing is everybody has their role to play in this music getting to listeners' hands. You know, you're not the actual musician. But in producing and creating this platform of ORED, you're really kind of like a bridge uh, either to other nationalities in the Caucasus or really to Russia, which there's a need for that from Caucasus to Russia. Um, so, I mean, even like what, with what you said about Miyagi and the Ossetian hip hop, uh, maybe on the one hand, the music itself isn't doesn't have huge cultural value, but the visual piece probably for a lot of people does, you know, for Setians at least. And so, yeah, I think like you said, everyone has a role and it's really cool how you guys are using the platform of ORED recordings to do this for these local musicians who otherwise probably wouldn't be able to get there 
music to so many other people's Probably, hands themselves. yeah. And many people ask us to, to uh, why don't you make music like Miyagi or like this more popular music? And many people think that we are like radical underground guys who are against pop <laughs> music. But to create good pop music and very popular, you need or talent or big uh-huh. money. And we don't make very popular <laughs> music, not because it's a principle, just because we can't. We do what uh, we can. And, wow. I don't know that this is true, but I think also... Uh, not only are you a bridge with maybe people outside of the Caucasus in Russia or in the world, my guess is that you probably show other locals the possibility of another way of interacting with their own their own culture. You know, that there is another way that isn't just this, this predetermined sort of folkloric um, show which may be fine, but there's, you know, other ways in that there's a future for local cultures. It's not only in the past. And I think that is actually um, essential for a culture to persevere and not become fossilized, not end up in a museum, but there has to be innovation. And so you're, you're really creating, I think some, some, you're creating a way forward, you know, kind of bushwhacking. And I think that's really great. That's why we, that's what we are trying to say. Even we have some lectures in Nalchik and we say it doesn't matter uh, what you are doing, traditional music, pop music, literature, or your cafe. The thing is you can do whatever you want, just make it... uh, Make something that you really love and mm-hmm. don't forget about the brains. Think how, and you can steal ideas from all the world. It's open. You, yep. you, you just look at how they made it. How they, uh, if you take a recordings, we, ju- we are just a compilation of different ideas we steal from here, 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 here. And, it's and, true. And make something uh, our own. And it, that's how it works. And that's why we are trying to uh, work with, for for example, now we're big fans of Irish uh, music and Irish band Lancum. And we became, I hope in future we will be close friends. Now we made an interview and we really, they want to come in Nalchik. We want to go and we want to collaborate. And there is so, or we can, take uh, another our friends from Indonesia it's a Seniava duo so there is a lot of examples of young or not very young so some people from all over the world that make beautiful things and everybody have an internet so <laughs> it's yeah, open it's and that's what we're trying to to say just make something all right. Before we get to the end, I want uh, my last question, and then Andrew probably has a little bit more. Do you have a favorite project that you've worked on or produced? Uh, no, because every project's are uh, cool, and favorite project is the project you are working now. Yeah. So, 
It's kind of like having children. You can't really, you know, you yeah. have a favorite child. <laughs> Shouldn't. <laughs> Something like this. So, and because we are working on different uh, cultures, so uh, of course, Circassian projects are closer to us. But sure, it it doesn't mean that some. For example, uh, and you 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 never know what will what will be interesting for audience and what will be successful. Right. For example, we record Kalmykian grandmas, two, two amazing <laughs> grandmas. Uh, they perform mostly Soviet songs and they're very old um. and they're very nice. And when we recorded with Timur, we was thinking, well, we do, we, we both like it, but we don't think it will be some in, interesting for a lot mm-hmm. of listeners because it's very raw, very like monotonic. Uh-huh. And then there is a, a Belgium label, Sabrosa. They made, they release on CDs, vinyls, some like uh, experimental music, some uh, sound collars and some traditional music too. And they contact us and I was the fan when I was 20 years old like this. And wow. Sabrosa asked, can we make some collaboration with you? I said, yes, of course. And they said, this is our catalog. We, in, you can choose. And they said, we like this Kalmykian uh, oh. music. Can wow. we release it on the vinyl? I said, of course, but why <laughs> them? And they said, because it's amazing music. And it was, okay. I was thinking it's only my and Timur point, but you, oh, ne- you wow. never know. And something, when we release uh, Chechen uh, Soviet acoustic uh, folk music, we, we was thinking, well, this, is, this will be a hit because many people interested in Chechen culture because uh, many people know about Caucasus only Georgians and Chechens, so probably it will be very popular. And it's it's not our most popular release. It's just in the middle. And you yeah. never know how it works. Wow, that's great. Well, Eli, there's a lot of things we need to link to the show notes uh, for this episode. But please, we need to link the Kalmyk grandmas and their singing. Uh, like that, that is amazing. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll go, I'll put them on at the, at the tail end of this, you know, so our, our listeners can get a taste of them on the outro. Oh, that's, all right. Yeah, that's we'll great. get the Kalmyk grandmas, but, but Bulat, how can people find you? You're all over now. I mean, you guys have canvassed the web, the internet. So how do people find you? Just Google our recordings. There is a Bandcamp. It's our main uh, platform, mm-hmm. but we are on all streaming platforms now on Spotify. Apple Music and so on. And now I'm working with East East Media. It's Russian and Qatar media. I'm making a podcast, Mm. articles for them. Uh, So, and it's in Russian and in English. Excellent. That's East East Media, huh? Yeah. Okay. So that's, again, listeners, that's O-R-E-D, ORED Recordings. And... They're the only ones out there. And if you want to follow them, you guys are prolific Facebook posters. You're constantly updating stuff on Facebook. Um, 
Maybe not so much recently. And we are yeah. open for different collaboration. If anybody have some ideas, we are open to discuss it. Maybe we will not crazy about some ideas and we will not work with you. Maybe we will. So we do only things uh, that we like. It's good. So sometimes we made things we don't like, but because of money. <laughs> and <laughs> in the red recordings, we made only things that we like. It's, it's, it's life. <laughs> the nature of the beast. Yeah. So, Balat, we. This has been an amazing interview. We wrap up all our interviews with our guests. We ask this one question. Um, if there was one thing you could tell the world about the North Caucasus, what would you tell them? Well, this is really complicated, but really interesting place. So don't follow cliches and try to deep, dig deeper. And maybe you will understand something about Caucasians people about Caucasus and I think people of Caucasus of Caucasus are not understand their own culture too so mm. don't be shy to don't understand I like it great piece of advice for really anything in life uh, get past the cliches and dig deeper absolutely well guys yeah. I can um, I'll just speak on behalf of Bulat if you ever are in Nalchik uh, he welcomes you to his house. His wife makes really good mushroom shashlik, uh, <laughs> along with the meat. Um, we, I mean, we could we should interview Bulat's wife um, about her art. She's an artist. There's so much that your family does. It's amazing. She did works with textiles. Um, but yeah, with the filth. Yeah, my father makes wine. So please wow. be sure to follow Ored. You won't regret it. There's a a vast uh, diversity of music. So don't listen to one album on Bandcamp and say, oh, that's not my style. Click on another one and you'll yeah. enter like a different world. I really, I, I couldn't, can't recommend them enough. And, and Bulat, again, I want to affirm that what you're doing is really fascinating, but really important. Um, as an outsider, I just say, well done and keep it up. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks, Bulat. Wish you the best. Listeners, take a good listen and we will see you. When you get here. <laughs>
Ağabeyi eşitin de kısıl olacağı okulduk ha her. 